Hey everybody, it's David Pluff. Welcome to Campaign HQ. Well, since I was last with you, um, we've had basically a decade's worth of news. We had the president diagnosed with the coronavirus. We have him going to Walter Reed. We have him uh, riding around in, in an ill-advised photo op, endangering the Secret Service. We have him flying back like a third-rate dictator uh, to the White House where he dramatically takes off his mask. He's been sending videos out suggesting that he's uh, immune. Uh, there's a special drug cocktail that he has created that's going to work for everybody. He'll get it to everybody. And basically, don't let the coronavirus dominate your life. It'll be okay. So, um, you know, I think largely reinforcing all the things that have him in such political trouble right now. Um, <laughs> he's sort of anti-science, uh, ignoring the coronavirus. Um, it is almost like, you know, he's uh, if he was Neville Chamberlain in 1938, he would have been uh, uh, both appeasing the Germans and taken prisoner by them. Uh, so it is one of the worst weeks in American political history for presidential candidate. If you count his disastrous debate, uh, getting diagnosed with the coronavirus, people understanding that there was a super spreader event at the White House, and you've got senior aides and reporters, sadly, um, uh, all diagnosed. You've got both the first lady uh, and the president diagnosed. So um, it is, um, there's no hiding from it. There's no spin. You know, everybody sees it. Everybody can draw their own conclusions. And based on the data we're seeing, um, and polls aren't votes, but and I'm surprised by this. I thought Joe Biden's lead couldn't get any bigger, just given how polarized we are. And, you know, Trump does have a pretty sturdy political floor beneath him. Uh, but you see two to three point difference in the battleground states. I, I won't even speak nationally, uh, but in the battleground states where this election will be decided, um, you know, really since the debate. Um, and, you know, the good news for Biden is even if that um, extra support that he's got in polls were to disappear and we end up where we were pre-debate, um, you know, he's still in a really good position heading uh, into the election. Um, and, you know, we hear, um, I'm talking to you, I'm recording this th Thursday morning, um, the same day we'll release this podcast, and Donald Trump, I guess, in a phoner to Fox, said he wasn't going to do the next debate. The If the Presidential Commission insists it's a virtual debate, um, there's reporting that that's going to be their recommendation, given the fact that the president is still contagious uh, and is not being transparent about his testing um, results. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I think Joe Biden should do whatever public health experts say. If they say it's safe to debate in person, he'll do that. But given how dodgy Trump's been on his test results, you know, the next debate may have to be virtual. And Trump has to do the debate. If he doesn't do the debate, he's lost, um, you know, his best opportunity, really, to try and change the trajectory of the race. He's losing the race. Again, polls aren't votes, but I think it's safe to say on current uh, speed and course, he's in grave political danger. And when incumbent presidents bomb their first debate, as Ronald Reagan did in 1984, George W. Bush did in 2004, Barack Obama did in 2012, you need that next debate to both stabilize and recover whatever you lost. Um, and if he, so I think he's going to debate whatever he says. His team, I'm sure, will insist that he do it. Um, now, obviously, if he shows up and gives the same performance he did in the first debate as like like a basically barking, frothing, rabid dog, you know, he's going to set back his case. Um, so um, that's what's, I think, the most important thing over the next week electorally. 
will be the does Trump debate. Uh, the other thing is, does he continue to behave like an absolute lunatic around the coronavirus? Um, because at the end of the day, that's such an important question for many voters. Who's going to dig us out of this pandemic? Who's going to make sure that we have the right, um, you know, public safety procedures? Who's going to encourage more mask wearing? Who's going to encourage more social distancing? Who can you trust to distribute a vaccine and that it's safe? And I think there's no question Joe Biden, uh, you know, according to data, has big leads on all that. So um, the other thing um, that obviously is happening in the interim is just last night we had the vice presidential debate. Now, historically, vice presidential debates have really not affected the vote. Um, you know, the vice presidential office is no longer, it was once described as a warm bucket of spit. It's an incredibly important office. And particularly with the age of these two candidates, I think people want to make sure that um, their number twos could serve if something were to happen to them. Maybe particularly relevant, you know, given the fact that Trump now has a deadly disease. But... Um, you know, it really hasn't affected the election. And, and my sense, uh, you know, coming out of last night, and we'll see more data in the in the days to come that will, you know, be the real truth about what happened was, I think the race probably stays where it is. And so if you're Kamala Harris, that's a good thing. I think she had some really strong moments around health care, uh, both the administration's mishandling of the coronavirus, really some powerful moments around pre-existing conditions and the Affordable Care Act. Um, uh, you know, I think Pence obviously was not a rabid, frothing dog the entire debate. He interrupted too much and didn't really answer a single question, just kind of took it where he wanted to go. But, um, you know, I think he prosecuted uh, the case for Trump and, and against Biden-Harris much more effectively than than Trump did. So, um, you know, the data we're seeing so far shows women, um, you know, in a huge number thought Harris won the debate. Men were more split. So, you know, the instant polls that are at all statistically um, valid seem to suggest that Kamala Harris uh, won the debate. Um, but my guess is underlying voter attitudes probably didn't change that much. And, and that's a good thing. You know, if anything, maybe Kamala Harris was able to to move a few more undecided women in the Biden column, uh, but most importantly, probably solidify support, both because she looked like someone who could be commander in chief. Uh, and I thought she had some really strong moments uh, throughout the debate. You know, having, um, you know, been part of debate preparation for presidential campaigns and vice presidential candidates, where my head always has gone, you know, once you know, a debate's over. Um, there's some things you need to improve. But even if you had a good debate, you're like, what can I do better next time? Where is there a moment I didn't get that I need? Or where was there an exchange that I don't think I dominated and I couldn't? For me, there's two things. One, you know, assuming there is another presidential debate, I think Joe Biden should and will make Donald Trump pay a price for his recklessness in the last couple weeks around the coronavirus. You know, you didn't take it seriously in the beginning. You told us it would go down to zero. You said it would magically disappear. You've mocked masks, including me wearing a mask. But then you come back and you basically are sending a message that everything's going to be okay. Don't take this seriously. I think there can be some powerful moments around that. Uh, and then I think on voting and democracy, that was the last question in both of the first two debates we've had here. Um, and I think Joe Biden and Kamala Harris made very strong points about uh, just vote, exercise you're right. Uh, this is going to be a valid election, of course. You know, Joe Biden said whoever wins should be the, the president. All that's right. But I think uh, most Americans, uh, you know, maybe 75, 80 percent of Americans uh, believe that, you know, we should respect elections. Whoever gets the most votes should count. And so I think really to make a, a Donald Trump pay a steeper price for basically saying, you know what? I don't really care what happens in the election. I'm going to stay president. That's not how we roll in America. Um, you know, we are not a monarchy. We are not an auto, uh, 
an autocracy. Uh, and I would also add why he wants to stay. He wants to stay because now we know, as Kamala Harris pointed out, he's in debt, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. We don't know who to who, but he doesn't want to, you know, he's protected if he's in the White House. You know, his uh, he's going to be under investigation. You know, he likes his little safe cocoon and the world outside is going to be harsh and forgiving. But that doesn't mean that we should uh, not abide by election results. Um, I thought Kamala Harris did a really good job of making clear that Joe Biden, if he becomes president, uh, is not going to raise taxes on anybody over $400,000. I think that's something Joe Biden in the next debate, assuming there is one, should really continue uh, to pound. Um, and and I think that that ultimately is such a uh, Achilles heel for Donald Trump that he promised to be someone who was going to fight for workers. Uh, and everything he's really done uh, is geared towards those at the top. Um, he sees the economy through the prism of the stock market. Um, most uh, swing voters um, do not have any investments in the stock market uh, or very little um, and don't see the economy in that way. Uh, so it's the Scranton versus Park Avenue setup that, that Biden's been, I think, effectively utilizing on the stump uh, that I hope we see more of. I do think his speech in Gettysburg that didn't get much attention from the media because of Trump's diagnosis uh, heading into the VP debate was was really a stirring speech. I'd encourage all of you to go watch it online if you haven't uh, and share it with your friends uh, because it was a really patriotic, um, much needed call to our better angels, um, obviously in, at, at a place of hallowed ground in American history. Um, so, um, you know, I'd like to see more of that. I'm sure we, we will see more of that. Joe Biden, you know, two to three times a week, um, actually, you know, offering a very positive and optimistic message, which I think is important. I think the debates, you can't take your foot off the gas. You can play smart, but you can't play safe. Um, but I do think uh, Joe Biden going out there and continually showing people what they can have, not just that we can get rid of Trump, but that Joe Biden is kind of uniquely suited to this moment, I think will uh, will serve them well. So uh, the other, uh, you know, big thing happening in this election is the election's happening. People are voting. Um, I don't think media or any of us should say, um, you know, there's only 24 days till the election. The election's happening. Uh, we have over 6 million people who voted early. That number is increasing every day. We had uh, in-person voting start in Arizona this week. Um, and, and that's important because uh, when you are ahead in a race where a lot of people are voting early, um, you know, that's such an important uh, and great dynamic for you because you're sort of cashing checks at a time where you're doing well. Um, and your opponent then has to overperform on the back end with people who haven't voted. Um, and when you're behind, you know, you, you really have to be focused on time, which is, uh, you know, if so, if a lot of vote gets taken off the table, um, no matter if you're able to turn the race around or not, you may lose because the people who are voting early were voting, um, at a rate, um, and in a percentage against you that you just can't make up, um, whether that's on election day or, or later in terms of early vote. So, um, that's critically important, um, to understanding this race. The other thing I'll point out is, you know, in 2016, election day was November 8th. It's November 3rd this time. So, you know, those five days may not seem like a lot, but they mean a lot, uh, in terms of the sort of clock running out on, on Donald Trump. Um, you know, the, the key thing in early vote is who is voting? You know, if these are people who are just going to vote on election day anyway entirely, that's less important than are you seeing an early vote people who might be new registrants or people you were concerned were going to vote uh, who are real turnout targets. Uh, and so I want to talk to who I consider to be the preeminent expert in America on early vote today, uh, Michael McDonald. Uh, Michael used to be um, 
uh, a professor um, at George Mason in Virginia. He's now down at the University of Florida. He, um, in addition to being a professor of political science there, uh, he runs the United States Election Project. It's electionproject.org. I would highly encourage you to bookmark that site. Um, Michael's on Twitter at Elect Project uh, and is posting updates uh, all day, every day as he gets data in from the states. So I want to talk to Michael about what he's seeing in the data, where he gets that data, um, you know, some of the discrepancies between states in terms of when we're going to see uh, these early votes counted, uh, what he's seeing beneath the data uh, in terms of who's voting, what this might tell him about overall turnout um, uh, in this election. So I think you'll really enjoy this conversation and learn a lot uh, from Michael McDonald. I know I do uh, anytime I consume his data. Michael McDonald, welcome to Campaign HQ. Oh, great to be with you. So you are uh, sort of, uh, as far as I can tell, the preeminent expert on early vote in the United States of America. Will you tell us where we stand today? Uh, I know we have north of 5 million votes cast, but kind of what it tells you about the election in terms of overall turnout, if you can draw some conclusions about that. Yeah, so I was expecting 150 million people to vote in this election. That would put us at the highest turnout rate since 1908. Um, and we're seeing unprecedented levels of early voting so far. Some of that's because states changed their laws. They did that maybe in advance of the election to offer uh, early voting options. So these were already baked in. But some states also changed the way in which they were going to run their elections because of the COVID emergency. And clearly voters responded to that as well by requesting an unprecedented number of about 70 million uh, mail ballots for the upcoming election. So we knew there was going to be a large supply of early voting options. The um, thing that wasn't expected is how many people are, are taking advantage of that supply and uh, casting their ballots. So we've seen so far, um, and these numbers change every day. So even that 5 million is a little bit out of date. We're at 6.2 million and, um, and counting will probably be over 6.5 million by the end of here on Thursday. Um, and again, these numbers just are eye-popping. We've never seen anything like this before. So to go back to the original question, um, does that change my estimate of 150 million? I, I don't think so. I mean, it still looks like we'll have a very high turnout rate election. Once we get into that last week of um, early voting, um, if we are really going to have a, a very high record turnout for a modern election, we should start seeing some of the states exceed their 2016 turnout in just their early vote alone. Um, that will be our, our good indicator right then as to what the turnout will be, will be that last week in, in a few key states. Right. So, Michael, the 6.2 million, is that primarily comprised of mail ballots, but it's also starting to include some in-person early vote? It's got uh, mail ballots. There's uh, in-person early voting options in a couple of states uh, going on. And really, in in lots of states, there's in-person early voting, what election officials would call a counter ballot, where an individual can go to an election office and request and cast a um, an absentee uh, ballot in person at the election office. So that's been going on for a while in, in some states. And it's not really in-person early voting. Um, a state like uh, Virginia has been doing this counter-balloting. They haven't really started their in-person early voting yet. Um, they haven't opened up the satellite in-person uh, voting locations that they're going to do. Uh, and I expect seeing these very long lines for people to vote in person uh, early um, 
I expect that once we turn on that spigot, we're going to start seeing a, a flood of more voters uh, casting ballots. So in some of the data you put out uh, this morning, Michael, you mentioned that compared to the overall 16 turnout, we're already north of 20 percent uh, of the vote already cast in Wisconsin, I think over 13 or 14 in Michigan. Um what I guess a question for you, uh, you know, when I used to run campaigns, when you were running them in places that had significant early vote, you know, if you're doing well, you like that because as people are voting, you know, they're voting at a time you're doing well. Conversely, when you're behind, you realize that, you know, a lot of votes are being taken off the table. And even if you were to recover late, um, you know, you're not going to get the full measure of that. How do you think about that? It particularly, I mean, Trump's now saying he won't debate uh, in the next debate. We'll see if he changes his mind. But, you know, let's say he does, you know, two weeks from now, um, you know, both debates will have taken place that are remaining. Um, and you may have, what do you think? I mean, you think we may be north of 25, 30 million at that point? Very well could be. I mean, we haven't even seen some of the big states turn on yet. Um, I just got some California numbers this morning. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the big enchilada in terms of early voting. It's an all-mail ballot state in our largest state. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're probably going to be looking at um, a good number, um, you know, 30. It's hard to predict. Um, but uh, we could see a lot of votes uh, by the time we actually have the debate. Uh, Trump's got to change the narrative. And his only opportunity to do it is at a um, debate at this point. So um, I can't see how he won't debate, um, but we'll see. Right. I very much agree with that. I mean, it's his last and only chance, really, uh, to change a race he appears to be losing. So, Michael, educate people a little bit, uh, if you could, about all the different states have various laws and rules around when they can start counting early vote, whether it be mail or in person. Florida uh, counts ahead of time. North Carolina counts ahead of time. If you could just, just in the battleground states, uh, sort of take us on a tour if you could. Yeah, we, we've been most concerned about three states that were critical in Trump's victory in 2016, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Uh, those three states, uh, Trump won them by a combined 77,000 votes. Uh, these are states that uh, will not begin counting their ballots till very close to election day or, or even start processing them so that they could be counted. So there's going to be a lot of work that election officials have to do in a very short amount of time uh, in those states. And that's why, even though the Republicans in Michigan did reach a bipartisan agreement to start a day earlier on the counting. That's good news, at least a little bit. Um, uh, we're probably looking at two to three days after the election before all the mail ballots are counted within those states. I don't think that they're going to be important <laughs> to know whether or not uh, um, Biden or Trump is the president because they're going to be fast reporting states. And among those is going to be um, Florida. Uh, Florida um, is a, a state that already has a generous number of mail ballots. A third of the voters cast ballots by mail in prior elections. Um, the numbers are up in this election, but election officials here in Florida will be able to manage those ballots. And um, we can count them faster. Uh, we can start preparing them before election day. Uh, we've got the machinery to count them. Um, those ballots should get processed pretty quickly in Florida. In fact, if anything, I, although we've heard this narrative about how um, Trump's going to spring to a lead and it'll be um, Biden trying to make up the uh, disadvantage in the mail ballots, 
in Florida, those mail ballots will be reported first. Right. And it'll be Trump who's actually trailing, uh, and he'll have to make it up in the election day vote. And certainly that's possible. Um, we know for a while because of these dynamics of early voting that in states that have it, the election day vote tends to be very Republican. The early vote tends to be Democratic. So we've already seen this before where um, Republican candidates come from behind in the uh, in the early, excuse me, in the election day vote. So uh, we're probably going to see that again. But the main point is that over 99% of the vote will be counted in Florida on election night. It'll get, it will get reported fast. And if the polls are correct and Biden has the lead that he has, we should be able to call Florida for Biden on election night. I, that's the most high probability event. It's only in the situation where we're in a recount, you know, and in, in that recount situation, right. we don't know what happened in those three uh, Rust Belt states as to what happened, you know, which way they're going to go because they're still counting ballots. That's the scenario where we really don't know the election outcome. But Florida, North Carolina, Colorado, Oregon, Texas, Arizona, all of these states are going to count their ballots pretty quickly. Right. Uh, at least we expect them to. And we should get a pretty good read on the election on election night. Also, Ohio and Iowa, which, you know, are not Joe Biden's 270th electoral votes. But if he's, you know, do, winning there, uh, even if Pennsylvania or Wisconsin can't be called, it's pretty clear. So you mentioned Florida, Michael, and, and I've talked to, to other experts on Florida about this. You know, in 16, everybody I trusted, and, 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 and maybe you saw it a little bit differently, when you saw the early vote numbers, really felt confident about Hillary Clinton's chances. And to your point, you know, her election day turnout did not keep pace. Donald Trump actually produced very strong turnout in Florida compared to some of the other states. Talk to me a little bit about that dynamic, uh, kind of just uh, looking in the rearview mirror, what you saw happen in Florida in 16. Well, I, I posted a blog post about my predictions based off the early vote um, uh, the Sunday before the election. And I thought Florida was going to be really close. Mm -hmm. um, I, I did not think that Clinton had Florida in the bag. I did think that Clinton had um, Nevada and Colorado. Uh, based on the early vote. And th the way in which I do this is I compare to a past comparable election and look at the partisan composition of the electorate and, and see the changing shifts in the percentage of partisans who are participating in the election. And so using that approach, I correctly predicted um, nearly every state um, using the early vote where it's available, but it really wasn't available in Wisconsin, right. Michigan, and was in, in Pennsylvania. So I was like, well, you know, that's going to be how, if Trump's going to win, he's going to need to win those states. Um, so, uh, um, you know, that, that fortunately, you know, or unfortunately, you know, that's the, how it turned out. But, uh, um, I, 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 I don't understand why the Clinton campaign didn't see that too, um, because that uh, if I could see it as an outside observer that that was Trump's pathway to victory, um, they they should have seen it too. So you don't just report on and analyze the number of people voting. You just mentioned the composition, how many of the early votes coming in are Democratic, Republican, or, or nonpartisan, independent. You also look at, you know, who those people are, right? We don't know how Michael voted, but we know that maybe he didn't vote in 16 or he's a new registrant. So talk about what you can glean from the data beneath the top line and, and kind of what data sources you use to, uh, to inform that. 
States post a lot of good data. Um, these are data that are drawn from their voter files. So in a party registration state, you know the partisan composition, or at least the party registration uh, composition of the people who voted. In a couple of states, uh, primarily in the South, you get race on the voter file. So we know the racial composition of the people who voted. Um, we've got age. We've got gender. Uh, we've got past vote history. Um, these are all things that, as you all know, campaigns look at when they're um, targeting uh, voters for messages, you know, along with other mm -hmm. data that they're collecting themselves. So, um, you know, with all that data, you can do a lot of analyses um, and you can see these patterns. Uh, and there's some patterns that we're seeing right now that are, are probably very meaningful. Um, the fact that something that we knew was going to happen, but lots of Democrats have requested mail ballots, many more than ever in the past. And um, usually, you know, especially in a state like, say, Florida or North Carolina, usually Republicans do well in mail ballots, um, but we're not seeing that this time around. Lots of Democrats have, have, are voting by mail. And conversely, uh, the um, Republicans are, are choosing not to. And uh, the only explanation is that Republicans are listening to Donald Trump about his rhetoric of, about mail ballot frauds and, and, and some, you know, whatnot. And so they're not requesting those ballots. Um, but even now we're starting to see in the ballot returns that uh, Democrats are returning their ballots at a higher rate than Republicans as well. And so um, that's different. Usually it's Republicans who turn return their mail ballots at a higher rate than, re than uh, Democrats. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, don't know what's going on here. Maybe these are Republicans who not only, uh, you know, got cold feet and have decided that they don't want to vote by mail. They've listened to Trump, um, and they'll vote in person. Um, but that's again, just these very unusual patterns we're seeing, um, in, uh, mail ballots, which tell us something about, um, I, I think, you know, uh, at least give us some clues about, um, you know, enthusiasm levels. If you thought Democrats weren't as enthusiastic as Republicans, I, I, I don't certainly don't see that in the data. And is there anything from an age standpoint? Uh, Biden's overperforming with seniors. Um, and that's the other thing about the, uh, you know, you mentioned party wh where there is party registration on the file. You know, with independence, of course, the campaigns have modeled everybody, right? But Biden's probably going to do um, better with independence than uh, Clinton did back in 16, in part because he's a senior. But what are you seeing with younger voters in, as it relates to this early vote data? Yeah, it, it, we're seeing actually a very similar pattern as we've seen in past elections where the people who are voting right now are older. Mm -hmm. um, and it's only really the young voters uh, and the people who don't affiliate with the political party um, tend to vote later in the um, early voting period. That's a clue to me that what we're seeing here isn't just a shuffling of when people are voting. Um, I ex still expect that uh, early voting is going to uh, increase as we get closer to election day as those younger voters start voting. Because when we see a higher turnout election, everybody's turnout rates go up. It's not just like older voters. Uh, so it would be extremely unusual to see a situation where only older voters were voting at higher rates in an election. So I still think that we're, we have yet to see uh, younger voters in particular show up in force, and they will probably start doing so in that last week or so of the early voting period. 
Right. So if you're a campaign, of course, just to educate our listeners, that's, you know, that's a goldmine of information, right? We know that these people have a ballot at home <laughs> uh, and they've not returned it, right? So from an organizational standpoint, you can go chase that ballot and encourage them to get it in. It's, it's an important piece of data. So one of the things I know, Michael, you've also looked at, particularly just given, um, let's say, in the June primaries in places like New York and New Jersey that had much higher vote by mail um, take up rates than we've seen previously. The number of ballots that got spoiled because people made mistakes on signature or postage. And uh, are you seeing anything uh, notable in the data there? Well, we've seen some issues out of North Carolina um, and they're being resolved, I hope. Um, so there's been a lot of attention placed on it. And we've seen uh, particularly African-Americans have their ballots rejected uh, for an issue with a witness signature more frequently in North Carolina than um, we're seeing, uh, you know, um, than, than we would like. Uh, but as I said, the numbers are coming down each day. So um, there is a way for uh, African-Americans to fix that issue. And it appears like that that is happening. So um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to monitor uh, in other states, we're just not getting a lot of ballot rejection data yet. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I, I don't, not really sure what that means. Is that just that the data haven't been entered? Um, are we not really getting them? But other, the two other states that I'm tracking right now, Michigan and Georgia, we're just not seeing a lot of data yet. It's only really North Carolina that we're seeing the um, ballot rejection data coming in in, in larger numbers than, than you might be concerned. From a larger perspective, though, um, states have taken a lot of uh, you know, uh, prophylactic measures to um, help voters. So there's now these ballot tracking sites. There's uh, North Carolina instituted procedures to correct and fix ballot um, uh, errors. Um, states have extended uh, deadlines for uh, returning ballots. Uh, some of this is happening through uh changes that the states themselves are making, some of it's brought through litigation. Um, so I'm hopeful, even though during the primary season, we were able to track more than half a million rejected ballots. That's very concerning. Um, I'm hopeful that because there's so much uh, attention being paid to this, that uh, we're going to have fewer rejected ballots um, uh, uh, in the general election. But um, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, there's just so many things that are going on here before uh, we can know for certainty that what's going, what will be the end of, uh, at the end of the day. So the, the half million in the primary, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the rate for younger voters in particular was quite high. Is that right? Yes. And for um, uh, persons of color as well. So that's, it's very troubling um, when you see uh, certain segments of our society who who wanted to engage and return to their ballots. And then um, you find that they, uh, they're they not successful. And and sometimes they don't even know. Um, they cast their ballot. They, they, they weren't checking it. No one contacted them to let them know. Again, I think this time around, we've got better ballot tracking, better public education about the issue. Um, outside organizations and the campaigns themselves are supplementing what the election officials are doing by reaching out to voters with uh, problems. Because, again, everybody has the same data. They can see when somebody's got a rejected ballot. Right. Um, so, again, hopefully with all of that intensive effort that's uh, occurring around um, ballot rejections, uh, we'll hopefully, I mean, we're not going to completely fix the problem, but hopefully it'll be uh, lesser of a problem than we've had in the past. But I will say this, though. I mean, let's go back to those three 
states that can't really start checking ballots over until, you know, election day. I mean, that's a problem. Um, right now, people who return their ballot to North Carolina, um, uh, North Carolina election officials can um, let them know that, hey, you know, you had a problem. Let's fix it. Right. Uh, but right. you can't do that in Pennsylvania. And so lots of celebrities are getting naked to remind people uh, <laughs> put that uh, uh, ballot inside that inner envelope. Um, that's a common mistake that people make. Uh, and only put one. Don't put more than one. That's another mistake that people make. Uh, so don't, you know, get two naked people in the bed either. So um, just one person per uh, envelope. That's very important as well. Um, and, and so, uh, um, yeah, so unfortunately, th- that's the same sort of precautions that we're seeing in other states, we're not going to have as much of a time for voters to fix these problems in, in these other states. And we could still see court action. We could still see other things happening. So I, I don't want to say like where we are going to be at the end of the day, but it, um, there's going to be more limited time, if any time at all, for voters to fix these sorts of problems in, um, in those other three states. It's such an important point. Yeah. So in Colorado, in uh, Florida, in North Carolina, in Iowa, you know, uh, not only do voters have the ability to check, uh, hopefully state officials reach out, but also, you know, like the Biden campaign will be reaching out to people saying, hey, you returned your ballot, but there was a mistake. But your point in those three states is um, there may be no ability to cure a ballot. Talk about the Pennsylvania situation. This is obviously the first presidential election where Pennsylvania is going to be a heavy early vote state. And, you know, that would have been true even pre-pandemic. Obviously, we're going to have a lot more people doing it. You know, having run campaigns in Pennsylvania, that was always, you know, one of the tools in the toolbox you were missing, right? You were you were almost entirely dependent on Election Day as opposed to utilizing early vote. Um, this secrecy envelope. I mean, I guess my question, Michael, you've and this is not from like a red or blue standpoint. Um, every state has different laws. Some require postage, some don't. Pennsylvania's got this additional secrecy envelope. Some people have you sign your ballot, some the envelope. What do you think the best system is to encourage full utilization without mistakes? That's a tough one. Um, the inner envelope really isn't necessary. Right. Um, and putting information on that inner envelope, like having people uh, sign it, um, I don't think that's necessary either. If you're going to require information on the ballot return, um, put it on the exterior envelope if you're going to have an inner envelope. Um, Looking across the states, that's a very common reason why ballots get rejected. It's it's some problem with that inner envelope. It's either information that's got to be there, it's the ballot's got to, is inside of it or not. and uh, and so I think getting away with doing away with that inner envelope is probably uh, a best practice because it's really not necessary. Once the election officials verify that the um, voter is uh, you know eligible and, and the cast a valid ballot, that ballot could be separated and um, you know set aside for counting. It doesn't need to be in a secrecy envelope like that. Um, uh, but, you know, to just take a step back uh, from your, your other, uh, you know, another implied question you had there, which is that, um, look, the, um, the, the reason why um, a state like Pennsylvania really didn't bother with updating any of their absentee ballot laws is because they had such a low volume of them. Mm-hmm. And there were problems. People knew about them. But no one really cared because there were so few rejected ballots in the big scheme of things. Um, it's only now where suddenly we're shifting to uh, a way of 
running an election that is so un- different and unusual from past elections, and we're relying on a method that hasn't been used very much in the past, that we're using antiquated laws that um, uh, aren't real and, and election procedures and machinery that aren't really geared towards uh, a mass usage of mail balloting. If you look, say, at the, um, the all-mail ballot states, they actually, you know, despite every all the Trump rhetoric about how their um, uh, the elections there are uh, you know fraudulent and everything else, they actually run their elections really good. Yeah, <laughs> um, they, they uh, they're sending out mail constantly. They're they know when people have moved. They're able to start urging procedures earlier, so there's less of um, the bloat that you might have on voter registration files and say on another state. Um, they're constantly capturing signatures. Uh, they're digitizing them. They're all linked back to the voter. So the election officials can um, call up the uh, signature and, and see, you know, does this signature actually compare? Is there something else going on? Um, and, and then again, reach out to the voter because, you know, people have strokes and their signatures can change dramatically and radically very quickly um, if there's a medical issue. So um, uh, that, that, that all of that, what happens at, in those Western states, um, you know, if, if we were to run elections predominantly by mail, you want to look to what they do uh, because they really do have a good procedure in place. Now, I'd, I'd also point to Colorado because Colorado has same day registration. It'd be kind of silly to think about how you could do same day registration with your ballot. Um, uh, but what they do instead is they have vote centers where people can vote in person if they wish to. And about 10% of, of Colorado voters choose to do that. Some are doing same-day registration. Some just like to vote in person. Some are disability communities and need to vote in person. Um, and so those options are available. So, I, you know, I, I, when we think about all-mail ballot elections, I would say it's quite a, a misnomer to think about these elections as all mail. Um, and uh, there should still be in-person early, uh, options uh, for those who need to vote in person. But remind people again of the states that are predominantly mail. You've got Colorado, uh, Oregon, Washington, what else? Yeah, so the, the sort of traditional three states have been uh, in their order of adoption was um, Oregon, Washington, and then Colorado. Uh, since then, Hawaii and Utah came on board. Col- California was going to uh, be partial hybrid uh, this uh, election, but they decided to move to all mail for the pandemic. Um, so they just upped their time frame on when they were going to uh, do that. Then we've got some other states uh, and the District of Columbia that are going to be all mail for this election on an emergency basis. We're talking about Nevada, uh, D.C., um, New Jersey, and Vermont. Um, Montana will be mostly mail. There are a few counties that opted not to do that. And then we have two other states that have um, all-mail ballot elections for small counties. So that's uh, Nebraska and North Dakota. Right. That's super helpful. Uh, so you mentioned Trump um, probably having an effect on um, lowering the number of Republicans that are both planning to vote by mail and when they're turning in their ballot. It's a feat of, to me, epic malpractice. Now, you know, you'll see his campaign and even he'll tweet like yesterday. He said, everybody in Arizona vote by mail. But I think the big message is oh, is kind of overriding that. The other thing I'm just curious, Michael, because, you know, you saw Pence do it last night. You saw Trump do it uh, much more uh, deliberately and forcefully in the debate is it's a fraudulent vote. Everybody's getting mail. My problem is with these states where automatic ballots are sent out. If, if you're just applying, that's fine. And the only, you know, quasi battleground state, um, you know, that 
well, ballots are being sent to every voter is Nevada, as you just pointed out. I'm just curious why there's not more attention in the press around the fact that, okay, let's take Trump at face value. So clearly he then doesn't have a problem with any battleground state because they're not sending out ballots to everybody. Yeah, well, sometimes you just suspect that the campaign's gotten a hold of Trump's Twitter feed. (laughs) (laughs) Right. uh, Because we know the campaign has been uh, really encouraging mail balloting and um, even as the president, uh, uh, his rhetoric is elsewhere. Um, But that's a problem for the campaign. That's a problem for the campaign because, uh, and they acknowledge it. They've said this, you know, in, uh, in news reports. So I'm not saying anything that's not public knowledge. They know that they need to have a robust uh, mail balloting campaign. They know that they're squandering an advantage that they traditionally had by uh, having fewer Republicans uh, vote by mail. And, and whatever the campaign tries to do, the president just drowns them out. And that's his supporters listen to him. They don't listen to the campaign. They get that piece of mail. They don't respond to it. And they're not requesting their mail ballots. So, um, yeah, that's just what's happening here. Well, Michael, uh, thank you for your time today. Uh, You're providing such a valuable resource to our country and to our citizens. And uh, I know I wait with bated breath for your latest tweet. So thank you for your time on Campaign HQ today. 